together we pray. Come Holy Spirit, come Lord, we give you permission to do what you desire. Make our minds, our hearts, our souls, Lord, the fertile soil of the gospel, that your word may bear great fruit in our life. Illuminate these scriptures for us. Convict and console our hearts. Speak, for your servants are listening. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So we're a week and a half into Lent. How is your Lent going, right? Are, are you, am I, are we crushing it? Or are we getting crushed a little bit by, by Lent? I mean, this is the, the point typically where a lot of us are like, man, maybe, maybe I picked the wrong thing, right? My prayer, fasting, almsgiving, this is a little bit more difficult than I intended it to be. So the church actually gives us every year the second Sunday of Lent, the transfiguration. It places before us the reality of who Christ is and where we are going. The transfiguration is not only a revelation of the truth of Jesus as the divine Son of God, as God himself in the flesh. As they were following him, they came, they came to, to gradually believe that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. And then here in the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John get to see a portion, only a portion, of the manifestation of his divinity in and through his humanity. In this full fullness of like what the resurrected Christ would be who he truly is in his nature. But also it's a revelation of who we are called to be in him. That we are called more and more, brothers and sisters, to allow the power of the Holy Spirit through our cooperation to change and to transform us. That the life of the Holy Trinity becomes more and more formed in our own souls. That Jesus reveals to us the end to which we are created for and the end to which we are called and the end to which we will find if we persevere in our faith in the Lord. And that is the glorification of our own bodies and souls. Being infused with the life of the Spirit, God's very nature that is meant to begin here and find its culmination in heaven. Now with that, again, the church, she's giving us this because last week we talked about how the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. We asked ourselves the question like, okay, don't we pray lead us not into temptation? What's going on here, right? Well, the invitation, right, for Christ to go into the desert to defeat the enemy and what we could not do on our own. That as the enemy won the first battle in the garden, and the garden became a desert after the fall, that Jesus goes into the desert, that he might say yes and be faithful and trust the Father where we failed and allow the desert to become a garden. 
and where he calls us, right, the Spirit is leading us into the desert, is the desert of our own hearts. That he wants to restore, right, the garden of communion with him in our own souls. And the catechism mentioned, we said this last week, a distinction between a trial and a temptation, that the Holy Spirit, right, teaches us to discern between a trial which the catechism tells us is necessary for the, the growth and the maturation of the inner man. The trial is necessary for the growth of ourselves to becoming more and more the people that Christ has called us to be. But temptation, right, given into, leads unto death. And so as we discern, then the Spirit is calling us, we mentioned, into the desert, Right, to face a number of difficulties that lie in our own hearts for the sake of transformation and maturity in Christ, which brings the fruit of peace and of joy and of happiness and of love of God and others. So with that in mind, I want to focus on the first reading as much as like, I just, gosh, we, gotta, we have to, the transfiguration, transfiguration. This first reading just wouldn't let me go. It wouldn't let me go. Here we have Abram, right before he was Abraham. And the Lord tells him, Abram, go forth from the land of your kinsfolk and from your father's house to a land I will show you. Go forth from the place that you were accustomed to, to a land that I will show you. Here's an invitation to faith. And God makes a promise, right? He makes a promise that he will give him a land, that he will make of him a great nation, and that the world would be blessed. The whole world would be blessed and brought to faith in the Lord through Abraham. And through his descendants. And so God makes this promise to him. But where, where, where is Abraham from? We hear that Abraham is from Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, well, well, what do they do in Ur of the Chaldeans, right? They're polytheists. They worship many gods. They're idolaters. And so God is calling Abram. He's saying, hey, Come and be in relationship with me, the one true and living God. And I will make you a father to many nations that all may come, right, and understand who this Lord is. And this is crazy, right? I mean, this is, this is a crazy, if you think of this reality, it's like, hey, everything you knew, I mean, if just, just, you, we ha- we, I, it's hard for us to gain a concept of this. So just like show up, South Louisiana, like, hey, you don't know anything about the rest of the world or what's going on. Like, come, you, you, you worship these gods, but I, I'm the real true God, and I'm going to show you. And Abraham, Abram's like, we have it concisely here, right? It says he did what the Lord asked him to do. But we know actually this journey was one that was difficult, and one that oftentimes Abram failed in faith. 
but through persevering in the mercy of God, through continuing to walk, right? He is transformed and he becomes what the church calls the father of our faith. That when we speak about who we are, we go back to Abraham. Now, our call, as we're going into the desert, part of the call of go into the desert is actually to leave our idols. That when we enter into the desert, so if, if you're, right, like, like a lot of us on the struggle bus at the beginning of Lent, like, gosh, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. Part of what the Holy Spirit is saying, you see, here are some of your idols. Here. And maybe some of it is just on the surface. That they're, the things that we're struggling with to give up or to pray or to spend our time and our energy, our prayer, fasting, almsgiving, can just manifest to us what we are attached to, what we put our faith in that is not the Lord. I want to read, and so I'm going to ask you to bear with me because I typically don't read long quotes uh, at Mass, but it's just too good. It's too good. So I want to invite you to read, if you haven't already read, Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith. is actually an historic encyclical in the sense that Pope Benedict wrote most of it, and he didn't finish, and then Pope Francis comes along, and he, like, finishes it up. So, you know, it's, it's got two authors, two people authors. It's kind of a unique reality. But here's the 13th paragraph. It says, The history of Israel shows us that the temptation of unbelief to which the people yielded more than once. Hello, that's us, right? Temptation of unbelief, for which we yield pretty often. It says, here the opposite of faith is shown to be what? Not unbelief, but idolatry. That the opposite of faith in God is not unbelief, but idolatry. Because we will put our faith in something, in someone it says, while Moses was speaking to God on Sinai, the people cannot bear the mystery of God's hiddenness. They cannot endure the time of waiting to see his face. We know the story. Moses, I mean, God, like, sets them free from slavery in Egypt through these miraculous realities, this manifestation of God's miraculous power. And Moses is like, hey, guys, hang out here for a while. I'm going to go talk to the Lord. We're going to make a covenant and I'm going to come back and tell you more about him and what he's asking of us. So just, just, just hang out. And they can't wait. Right? They can't wait to like, hey, Aaron, you know, you and Moses, you're like brothers, you guys are boys. Um, can you make a God for us? Like, just, just make one. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Give me all your gold, right? They throw it into the fire. They, they make a golden calf. They're like, hey, this is the God that took us out of, <laughs> out of um, slavery in Egypt. Which actually, think of how illogical that is. They couldn't get themselves out. God came and miraculously took them out. And then they make a God. And they say, this is the God that got us out. It's like, bro, you couldn't get out by yourself. How can you make the God that got you out? It's crazy. Guess what? We do the same thing all the time. All the time. It says they cannot wait, right? They cannot wait, endure the time of waiting. Because faith by its nature demands renouncing the immediate possession which sight would appear to offer. 
Faith by its nature demands renouncing the immediate possession, the immediate possession of which faith, which sight would appear to offer. It is an invitation to turn to, turn to the source of light while respecting that source. It says while respecting God, which will unveil himself personally in his own good time. How many times, brothers and sisters, are like, okay, the Lord is calling me to greater faith. He's calling me to enter into prayer more deeply. And so I've been struggling with prayer. I'm going to enter in with more prayer. It's Lent. I'm going to go in more. And then I go into the chapel, and it's just quiet. Or I'm just distracted. And it's like we can't bear the waiting. Where's the God? Where is he? Oh, let me make one. Right? And then we start in our own head about all these things, or, or we run, right, out of the chapel into some particular type of comfort. And so, in place of faith in God, it seems better to worship an idol into whose face we can look directly and whose origin we know because it's the work of our own hands. And here's a key line Before an idol, there is no risk that we'll be called to abandon our security. For idols have mouths, but they cannot speak, right? Before an idol, idol cannot call us out of ourselves into the greatness that we are called for because it's the work of our own hands. It's a pretext for setting ourselves at the center. It says, man has lost the fundamental orientation which unifies his existence. Then he breaks down into a multiplicity of his desires. In refusing to await the time of the promise, his life story disintegrates into a myriad of unconnected instants. How often do we think this? Like instead of waiting on the longing for the revelation of the one true God anew in my life, I'm like, oh no, this, oh no, this, oh no, this, oh no, this, oh no, this. And instead of like Abraham going on a journey through the desert into the promised land, we're just running around grasping a bunch of different things. So there's no real journey into the heart of the Father, but just a chasing our own tail. Chasing our own tail, whether it's lust, envy, pride, our own desires, our own plans, jealousy, vanity, whatever it is. Chasing our own tail. Maybe it's just entertainment and numbing the own longing of our own hearts. So as we enter into Lent, brothers and sisters, if your heart aches, if you feel the ache and the longing of your heart and the desire for more and it is painful, that is good. It is a good thing. It is a longing for the divine. It is a longing for God. And if we quickly try to put an ointment or a salve on it that is not God, we have reached for an idol. And we will not find him. So the invitation from our God is to ache for him and to long for him and to cry out for him. And he's moving within us, revealing his face in his good time. 
Why did Jesus wait so long before he took them on the Mount of Transfiguration? I don't know, but he knows. Why does Jesus wait some time to manifest himself to us in a new way? I don't know, but he knows. St. Augustine says that prayer is an act of desire. And there are times when God seemingly withholds himself. God never actually withholds himself, but he seemingly withholds himself in order to increase our desire for him. And this increase of desire is painful, but actually that pain expands the heart and purifies the heart to receive the fullness of who the Lord is in his time and in his way. So as we are in the desert with Christ and the longing of our heart is wanting to grab things to soothe it quickly, let us allow ourselves to feel the ache and then here's the key piece. Turn our gaze on the face of Jesus. It's not so much about letting go of idols. We need to let them go. But it's actually where are we looking? Because if we're looking at the idol, we will clutch it. But if we turn our gaze to the face of Jesus and he reveals his heart to us and who he is and he reveals his longing, right? His longing for the Father. That it actually begins to lessen our grip on our idols. Because sometimes what we're doing and what can work against us is we're wrestling with the idol ourselves, and we're staring at it and we're wrestling and we're staring and we're wrestling and we're like, we're not going to win. But if we look at him, if we look at him, he begins to lessen our grip because our, what he does is as he's revealing his heart, even in the midst of the longing of desire, we realize, no, yes, you are who I am made for. And so I will let these go because I want the one that my heart longs for. So I will let these go. And brothers and sisters, it is a stumbling and a fumbling and a bumbling and a journey just like it was for Abram. But the Lord is faithful. And the Lord is powerful. And the Lord promises that he will set us free. So as we are in the desert and we're tempted to stare at our idols and ourselves and all those things, let us meditate on the scriptures and meditate on the passion of Jesus and his, his coming resurrection, that our eyes may be turned to him, that our faith may be enlivened, that we would choose, like Abram, to follow Christ even when we fall, even when we sin, return to the sacrament of reconciliation, that our hearts would be purified from these idols and that we would serve the one living and true God and that we would stand upon the land of the garden that the Lord is forming in our own souls here and for all eternity. So at this mass, as the host is elevated and, the, and, and I say in the person, right, of the, with the words of John the Baptist, right, and manifesting Christ here, Behold the Lamb of God. Let us look to him and put down our idols and behold the Lamb hidden in the host, body, blood, soul, and divinity, that he would loosen our grip on everything that we hold on to, that we put in place of God and put our faith and our trust and our hope and our love of him, that our prayer, fasting, and almsgiving through faith in God would purify our hearts, make them a garden by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, we would come to know him.
Faith consists in the willingness to let ourselves be constantly transformed and renewed by God's call. By constantly turning towards the Lord, we discover a sure path which liberates us from the disillusion imposed upon us by idols. Thank you for listening. The ministry here at Christ the King is made possible through our generous donors and golden givers. If you would like to learn more or partner with Christ the King on LSU's campus, please visit ctklsu.org.